and take out a copy of Scripture and turn to Psalm 23. Psalm chapter 23. 23rd Psalm is where we've been this summer. And uh, Emery and Justin and Lynn, thank you for preaching and uh, giving me a few weeks off. That was refreshing. I appreciate you uh, allowing me to do that, church family. And uh, I'm excited to be back, though, to finish Psalm 23 and then uh, head into the fall with the Apostles' Creed. I'm going to read the whole psalm, but this morning we're going to camp out in verse 4. So Psalm chapter 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. Jesus, you are the good shepherd. Teach us to follow you according to Psalm 23. Help us to receive and rest in this wonderful truth about who you are and how you relate to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Have you ever followed someone that you trust and found yourself in way over your head? Maybe you thought you trusted somebody. Maybe you thought you loved someone and they led you into a circumstance at some point in your relationship and you thought, how did I end up here? I have a a close friend from high school named Zach Taylor. Zach is an adventurer, okay? He's always looking to to find the thing to do. We woke up one Saturday morning in high school, and he said, uh, we're going to go to a place called Devil's Elbow. I thought, I'm not sure what that is, but I guess we're going to Devil's Elbow. I said, well, where is it? He said, I don't know. We need to text Jacob. I said, Jacob knows how to go? No, Jacob's cousin. His cousin knows how to be there. His cousin's friends with a guy who's been to Devil's Elbow. So what's the address? It's not address. It's directions. <laughs> so Zach, I'm, this is not sounding promising right now. No, it's a cliff in a bend of a river. And uh, it looks like an elbow. And it's super deep and people jump off this cliff. And I'm not much for heights uh, myself. I take God's word literally. I understand my limits. And the ground is where God's put me. So we are driving north in Georgia and we turn down a road and turn down a smaller road and turn down an unpaved road and then we find ourselves on a dirt road wide enough for one car, a couple miles and we're going and we're going and we're going and finally we pull up to this kind of empty spot and uh, we see cars parked and we see a bunch of Georgia rednecks running and jumping. And we're not level with the river at this point. We're level with apparently what I learned was the cliff. So we pull up and we just see, we just see people running and jumping off of something into something else. And I'm thinking to myself, no, I'm not doing this. And we walk up and we look down and it's about a 40 foot jump. And I mean, again, not much for heights, Zach's running and jumping. And they said, hey, when you do it, you have to get a running start or you're not, or you're not gonna make it. 
going to hit the cliff on the way down. I'm thinking, okay, great, more variables. I'm sure this is not accessible for, you know, emergency services if something happens. Well, we end up doing it, and it was a blast. And there's a tree over on the side that's, like, grown over, in the, and uh, <laughs> this is the most Georgia rope swing ever. It was a fire hose with a bike handle on the end. And some good old boys are up in that tree jumping out, and I mean backflipping into this river. And then a uh, couple months later, to our surprise, Devil's Elbow is on the news. How fun. Uh, apparently the locals didn't enjoy it, and so they had thrown just massive poles down into the bottom, sticking up. It's like, what? W- w- and, and I think someone had jumped off and actually lost their life. And we were there like a month before jumping off, having a blast no one had known. But underneath the water, it was terrifying. And uh, the whole situation, we look back and we say, that was fun. But I'm not sure that I would let Zach lead me there again. I love Zach. I trust Zach. But that's not the first and that was not the last time Zach led me into a situation where I was way in over my head. And Psalm 23 kind of tells a similar story. It celebrates the goodness of God as our shepherd, providing everything we need. He leads us to places where we can lie down, places of provision. He leads us, verse three says, along the right paths. But then we enter into verse four and we find out that those right paths sometimes lead through a valley. Have you ever considered that those verses go back to back? speaking of God's renewal and his restoration of our lives, that he is leading me along the right paths for his name's sake, even when I go through the darkest valley. Psalm 23 verse four is about following our shepherd. It's about following God right into and even through the darkest valley. Some versions call it the valley of the shadow of death. But I think what this verse shows us is that the only way we can walk through the unavoidable valleys of our lives is if we walk through them with God. That's the only way we're gonna make it through the valleys of life is if we actually walk through them with God. So we're gonna take just line by line of this verse and see what David is is teaching us. The, The first thing we see this morning is that the valleys are unavoidable. Notice just very specifically his language even when I go through the valley. Even when I, I mean, these are not optional valleys. It's not a matter of if David's gonna go through a valley, it's a matter of when. While verse three celebrates God's leadership, verse four then says God's leadership might lead you directly into the valley, and if we can read scripture and allow scripture to be the mirror that James says it is, and pull out the truth of our heart, then we've gotta stop for a second and ask. If God is leading me, Why am I going through a valley? Some of us wanted to follow God precisely because we thought it meant there would be no more valleys. Maybe we were in a valley when we met God and we interpreted the promises of his word to mean he's gonna take me out and I'm never gonna end up back in a place this dark, this dangerous again. Maybe you read Psalm 23, verse four, and the thing that comes up for you is frustration. Why do we have to do that? Our kids are getting older, and they're asking those why questions about some of this, and I want answers, and I want to give answers, and I sometimes find myself just saying, I'm not sure. 
I, I, I just don't know. But we know from Psalm 23, verse 4, that when God leads us, valleys are unavoidable. What are they, these unavoidable valleys? Well, according to the shepherding metaphor that's happening in Psalm 23, we could imagine valleys as dangerous places, places where there's predators or enemies lurking, waiting to attack. Valleys are places of danger, of darkness. They're places of disorientation, right? You're in a valley and you can't see. You can't necessarily see where you came from and you might not be able to see where you're going. You can't see over the next ridge. Valleys are places of, of death where the danger of death is, is looming. So can you think of a time in your life that can be described as a valley? Could be right now. It could be this recurring theme that's been true all of your days. Maybe you feel like you've never left the valley. Some of the things I wrote down just off the top of my head are things like depression. feel like a valley. <clears throat> Loss. Losing a friendship, a job. Even loss that you were excited about what you were gaining. Maybe you left a city, you left a job, you left a school for something you thought was better, but there's still the pain of leaving behind what you're going away from. The loss of a job, it's broken relationships. Maybe it's a diagnosis for you or someone you love. It's any kind of suffering, right? Maybe it's the questions, the doubts that we don't have quick and easy answers for. The valley is a place where we come face to face with how fragile we really are. It's when we realize we're not in as much control as we thought we were. The valley is a place where we feel like everything in our life could slip away. And it's a place where we come face to face with our own humanity. But if we stick with that shepherding image that's being written about in this psalm, according to Philip Keller, the valley is also a place where the water flows. So sometimes a shepherd will intentionally lead his sheep into the valley because that's where he knows water is going to be flowing down from the higher places and that's where his sheep can actually get the refreshment that was talked about in verse 2. So if you want to experience verse 2, then apparently that means you have to go through the valleys because while the valleys are dark and disorienting and dangerous, they're also where you will find the refreshing, cool waters that you need to keep making your journey. Valleys are unavoidable. They're dark. They're dangerous. They're disorienting for all of us. They're unavoidable. But when we read David say, even when I go through the darkest valley, the next point of the morning is, how do we respond to the valley? The valleys are unavoidable, but the valleys also call a response out of us. David's response here is, I fear no danger. David says he's not afraid. Now, a good uh, practice for scripture reading is when you read scripture, I think there's a tendency, at least this, is, this might just be me, but there's a tendency when we read it to want to make it be true of us. I think that's right, okay? We want to resonate with what God's word is saying. 
But to get there, we have to actually first let it be like a mirror where it shows us how we respond. So when David says, even when I go through the valley, I'm not afraid. Pay attention to the hitch in your mind and heart when you read that. The wince where you say, not me. Even when I go through the valley, I'm terrified. What's your response to the valley? When, when God leads you into and through a valley, how do you respond? Meditate on the scripture for a second with an honest response. Do you resonate? Do you resonate with what David says? Yeah, I walk through with no fear. Is that, if that's how you respond to the valleys, then rejoice and give thanks. Because that is God's work in you. But I wonder, for, for some of us this morning, it, is there another response that we have? How else do we respond to valleys? We might fear, we might have anxiety, we might flee, we might avoid it, we might try to manage it and control it. I wonder if we can find like three categories of how we might respond to valleys. I wonder if we freeze. You enter into a valley of your life and you are paralyzed by fear, by anxiety, by worry, and you're unable to do anything except for worry about the circumstances you find yourself in. I wonder if you enter into a valley and you fight. You fight for control. You begin to manage and, sh and strategize for how you're gonna get out of the valley. You begin to count your resources that you gathered outside the valley now that you're in it, and you think, okay, wait a minute, I was being prepared for this. I know what to do, I have what it takes, I can survive this valley. You develop a plan for how you can get out of the predicament that you're in, and you fight the circumstances of the valley. Or, or I wonder if you flee which you really can't do because when you're in a valley, there's nowhere to flee to. But I wonder if you flee by trying to avoid the pain, the danger, and the reality of it, and you try to distract yourself. You try to numb yourself to just how painful the valley of your life is. When we read something as simple as David saying, I fear no danger, we can come to this place where we actually reckon with, wait, what would my response be? That's good Bible reading to pause and do that. See, the valley can reveal the reality of our hearts. The way we respond in the valley shows us the reality of our hearts outside the valley. How we respond to God in the valley shows how we were depending on God outside the valley. And it shows us how much we actually maybe weren't depending on God, but we were instead depending on smooth and controllable, manageable circumstances. It's easy to walk with God when our life seems to be going well. But sometimes when life takes a turn for the worse, we realize, oh, maybe I wasn't depending on God. Maybe my life was just easier. And then you find yourself in a valley, and the true and honest response of your heart is actually showing you what was true of your heart outside the valley. So what does your honest response say about the reality of your heart? And I want to ask us this morning, is it possible for us to have David's response? Is it possible for us to say, I'm not gonna fear. I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death, but I'm not fearing any danger. Is that actually possible? And I think it is. And I think it is because of what David goes on to say. I fear no danger for you are with me. 
Thankfully, David gives us a reason for not being afraid, and that's our third point this morning, the presence of God. The presence of God is the very reason David's not afraid. Now, do you understand the presence of God? And if you understand it, are you aware of it? Is it, is it practical for you? It's really not that sometimes God's with us and sometimes he's not. He's actually always with us. Now, that might seem as basic Christianity as you could ever draw up this morning. Like God is always with us. But I actually think that's a really tough reality for us to wrap our minds around. I think that's really tough for us to live out. In another Psalm, uh, in Psalm 139, David prays about how God is everywhere. And he actually says, where can I go to escape your spirit? In Psalm 139, verse 7. Fast forward to the New Testament. Jesus tells his followers and friends when he's getting ready to ascend to heaven, he says, and I will be with you always to the end of the age. God's presence is a constant theme in scripture. I actually think, and some way smarter people than me have made the argument, it's kind of the central theme in scripture. Because in Genesis one and two, you have God's creation ideal in which God is dwelling with his people. And then everything else that happens is God overcoming the barriers that we've set up to his presence. And it's God making a way to be with us again. And then go read the end in Revelation 21 and 22, and what is it? It is God with his people again. I think the whole Bible is telling the story about God being with his people. The reality this morning for all of us is that God is with you. And we need that simple reminder. You may think, yeah, I know. But, but stick with me for a second. God is with you. He does not leave you, and you cannot leave him. He's not far off waiting for you to invite him to have his presence in your life. You cannot leave him at home when you go to work, when you go to school. You don't leave him. And he also does not leave you when you walk into the valley. So how is it that the presence of God comforts David? I, I think to make David's response a reality means we have to walk through the valley responding to the reality of God rather than reacting to the circumstances around us. We have to respond to the reality of God. See, when we focus on our circumstances, we're gonna try to react to them, to, to control them, to manage them, to get them under control. Get me out of this valley. But when we're responding to the constant presence of God, the bigness, the power, the love, the safety of who God is is going to be more important to us than the circumstances we find ourselves in. With God, we can acknowledge those circumstances, but keep our eyes on him and respond to him. Think with me in Matthew 26 of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. I think he paints this picture well. He lives this out. His circumstances are the fact that he is heading straight for certain death. What He, he knows it's coming, and it's now become obvious to everyone around him. Death is coming. And he goes into the garden to pray. And he prays this interesting prayer. Lord, let this cup pass from me, yet not my will, but your will be done. Now, what's very important to, to be careful about what we say about this, because some people take this to say, well, see, Jesus was under the authority of God, and so, you know, Jesus is kind of, he's God, but he's not really in the same authority as the Father. We cannot say that, okay? That is heresy of the first degree. 
We'll talk about that when we walk through the Apostles' Creed more. But in no way is the Father better, greater, and more authority than Jesus. This is an eternal plan between the both of them. Jesus has authority to lay his life down and authority to take it up again is what John 10 says. So what's Jesus saying? Is he trying to find a way out? I, I don't know. It seems like it. He's asking a tough question here. God, if there's any other way, please let this cup pass from me, but not my will but yours. I think in his humanity, Jesus is wrestling with his circumstances. Jesus is fully human and fully divine. And I think the fact that he's human, he recognizes death is coming. And those circumstances of that valley are difficult to walk through. But do you see how Jesus responds? He submits to the eternally perfect plan of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit from all eternity have had this plan for this very moment. And Jesus is saying, now that I'm a human, I feel exactly how hard this is gonna be. I feel the threat on my life. Oh God, if there was another way. But it's not my human will that's gonna win here. I'm gonna keep my eyes on God is what Jesus says. And he in some ways submits to the plan that even he helped come up with. He kept his focus on that perfect and eternal relationship that he has had with the Father. And that allowed him to walk through the valley of certain death. Jesus lives this out. So the question, if we're thinking about the presence of God that gave David comfort and cast out his fear in Psalm 23 while he's walking through the valley, the question for us is how do we live with his presence? The question is, are you aware of his presence? Uh, Brent is my spiritual director. Get on a first name basis with Brent because I'll be talking about Brent a lot, I'm sure. But Brent, um, he invited me this week as I was just unloading he said, you gotta slow down for a second. I was like, okay. He said, you just gotta be present to his presence. And he said, right now, you're just, specifically he said, you're, you're living in yesterday and tomorrow. But you gotta come be present to his presence right now in this moment. And we had just a great, sweet time of slowing down and praying through that together. Are you present to the presence of God? The question is not if God is present with you. The answer is a resounding yes. The question is for you. Are you present to his presence? At a renewal gathering a couple weeks ago, which we're gonna do another one in July, so if you missed or if you're excited to do another one, put it on your calendar. But at this renewal gathering, we, the first time of prayer, Anne did a masterful job of leading us through this prayer of presentation where we came and we were able to light some candles and the whole point of that prayer was presenting ourselves to God to say, God, I am here with you. I know you're present here. But I don't want my mind to be distracted by all sorts of things that have happened or are gonna happen or I'm trying to manage and control this night in certain ways to go to feel certain feelings of a spiritual high like, yeah, I wanna feel like God's doing all this great stuff for me. No, no, God, I wanna slow down and put all that off and simply say, I am here with you. Because the reality is we, we are often so busy and so distracted that we don't live with an awareness of God's presence, right? But if we're gonna make it through the valley, we must respond to God's presence, not the circumstances around us. 
And what that leads to is the end of verse four. I fear no danger for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. With God's presence, the valley is traveled with comfort. What once was a place of the threat of death, danger, disorientation, is now a journey that we can walk with comfort. Specifically, he says in verse four that your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The staff was probably used to guide and direct sheep. The rod was either used to discipline the sheep or to protect them from predators. So God, our shepherd, actively, I think that's what we can take from these words. His leadership of our life is active, not passive, like he's just kind of there but you don't really know it. He's actively leading and protecting and guiding you in ways that comfort you to, to bring this home and make this almost more real to us. Think about John 10. One of the statements in John where Jesus says, I am, and then fills in the blank. And he says in John 10, I am the good shepherd. And he gives two reasons for it that can help us fill in Psalm 23, verse four. The first reason, John 10, verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. We are led by and protected by and guided by Psalm 23, a good shepherd because he sacrifices himself for us. He uses all of his authority and all of his power to lay it down and sacrifice himself so that we might live. And he did lay down his life right on the cross and then he took it up again in the resurrection. And then the New Testament goes on to describe our salvation as being in Christ. We've been united to him so that everything that's true about you has been kind of imported to Christ and he died for that. He paid for that. But also, all that's true of Jesus is now true about you. So that you have the kind of access to God that he has. So that you're righteous like him. You don't have to worry about your guilt and your shame. But also what that means in this scenario is that he's the one who survived death and will never die again. And now that is true of you if you are in Christ. We can only walk through the valley of the shadow of death if we are united to the indestructible one who has already faced death and been found victorious. I mean, what's the only thing that can protect you from death? Think of the one who said, ah, I've been there. You're afraid of dying? Let me tell you all about it. I've descended to the place of the dead. And I've walked out the other side. So whatever dangerous threat of death looms in this valley for you, it's underneath my authority. He is the good shepherd because he lays down his life for us. But second, a few verses later in John 10, verse 14, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Jesus, the good shepherd, knows you. Psalm 103, 14 says he knows what we're made of. The ESV says he remembers our frame. He knows that we're dust. Jesus knows you. He knows your name. He knows your story. He knows your tendencies and all your particularities. He knows your gifts and your strengths and your weaknesses. Jesus sees you and knows you. 
So when we walk through the valley, we're walking in the protection of the life of Jesus, the protection of the indestructible one, and we're walking intimately with the one who knows us perfectly and still loves us. What a miracle. And so the comfort that we find is the comfort of being seen by Jesus. He sees you and he knows you and he loves you. It's the comfort of being safe in Jesus. You are safe and secure in him because he is the indestructible one that death can never touch. And you're significant because you matter enough to him that he wants to personally lead you through the valley. Not throw some generic instructions and hope you make it out the other side. Not give you some hints and riddles to figure out along the way so that you can make it on this quest. No, you are significant to him. He loves you, so he is going to walk with you every step of the way. Now, I think in our life, we might want to skip the relationship with Jesus and just go for the comfort. So when you find yourself in a valley, sometimes we're thinking, what can get this away? It's a bit like having a headache. And reaching for the Tylenol or the ibuprofen before you reach for a bottle of water, which would solve most of our headaches. Dehydration headaches, I think, are the most common ones. But you're like, I just need the symptoms gone as fast as possible. I want the comfort. That's fine, that water, dehydration, that's fine. I do drink filtered water, filtered through coffee beans, amen? (laughs) But we want to reach for something that's going to give us immediate and quick comfort. And I think that's what we do too. When we enter into a valley, we want something that's going to give us some comfort. So we go straight for it. We work for comfort. We try to control comfort and seek it out. But Christ is the only way to comfort. So you're invited this morning to present yourself to him, the true comforter. I think the most dense place in scripture where the word comfort is used over and over. If you're reading a part of scripture and a word is said so often that you stop and think to yourself, this is a bit awkward. Then go read it again and ask yourself, why is the author using that word so much? Second Corinthians chapter one is one of those passages. Listen to how often uh, the Apostle Paul says the word comfort between verses three and verse seven. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all of our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction. Through the comfort we, also, we ourselves receive from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ overflow to us, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we're afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings that we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that as you share in the sufferings, so you will also share in the comfort. He says comfort a lot in there, doesn't he? But do you see, verse five, just as the sufferings of Christ overflow to us, just as it seems to be that as followers of Jesus, that does not guarantee we avoid the valleys, but quite the opposite. It guarantees we will walk through them. We find ourselves following the way of Jesus right into and right through valleys of suffering and hardship, despair and depression. The sufferings of Christ certainly do overflow to us precisely because we're followers of Jesus. So also through Christ, our comfort overflows. So this morning, 
the only way that you can make it through the valley is if you walk through that valley with Jesus. The only way you'll be able to make it through any valley in your life is if you walk through it with him. So, are you aware of his presence with you this morning? The action step of this message is not to go seek out comfort. It's kind of like Justin preached a few weeks ago. Don't go seek the provision. Seek the provider. And then once you get him, you're going to get all the provision you need. Don't go seek out comfort. Go seek out the comforter, which is a word that Jesus used to describe the Holy Spirit in the book of John. Don't seek out comfort. Go seek out the comforter. Are you present to his presence? Do you realize this morning that you're seen by him? That you're safe in him and you're significant to him? So he's not gonna leave you in the valley. No, he's with you. Let's pray.